This is Redemptive Realities, class number three. What's our main text? Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus was made a curse for us. Why? So that the blessing would come upon us. You're blessed. You're blessed. Memorize that verse. Memorize that scripture. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of poverty. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of sickness. Christ has redeemed me from spiritual death. Christ has redeemed me. That is already mine. That's done. That's taking place. So we've been raised up together and seated with Jesus in heavenly places in Christ. Is that right? We've been given the name of Jesus that you use as a weapon against and over all the power of the enemy. That's where we are. That's what we have. In God's sight, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That means we have Jesus Christ's own righteousness. It's ours now, and that means we aren't going to get more righteous in heaven than we are today. God will not see you as being more righteous when you're in heaven than you are right now, seated right here. This is who you are. This is what you have. And this is how God sees you right now. Bible says if we ask anything in Jesus' name, he will do it. Wow. We are God's own special people, his kings and priests, called to show his praises in the world. But there are many, many Christians who are not experiencing all that God has for them in Christ. And why does that happen? Why, when we have such great and awesome, precious promises, why do so many people, why does the vast majority of Christianity live just getting by? I'll explain it to you today. Mark chapter 4. Go there with me. Mark chapter 4. And Jesus taught them many things by parables. Mark chapter 4 and verse 2. Hearken, behold, there went a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed that some fell by the wayside. Fowls of the air, or birds of the air, came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some one hundredfold. He said to them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all the parables? Teachers of the Bible have called Mark chapter 4 the master parable. The parable of the sower has been called the master parable because Jesus said, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the others. 
you got to get this one. The sower sowed the word. The seed that the sower was sowing is the word of God. We're called to sow the word of God. We're not necessarily called to, produ to produce the harvest, to create a harvest. If you're an evangelist, if you're called to be an evangelist, you're called to tell the truth. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. And you're called to read the word and preach the word and give the word out. The results are likely to be the same results Jesus had. Some days there were multitudes and some days everybody left. And he just kept on preaching the word. Kept on preaching the word. Think about the results that Jesus had that 50 days after his resurrection, only 120 were praying. You'd think that the whole nation 50 days later, but only 120 are in one room together. There was a time when he looked at all his disciples and said, Simon Peter, you're going to leave too? Simon's like, you know, it must have gotten down pretty far. He'd been teaching about the blood. He'd been teaching about his blood. You've got to eat my body and eat my, you know, drink my blood, and unless you do, you have no part in me. And they're like, they're not getting it. And Jesus said to Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, to whom should we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. We don't understand everything all the time. We're not going anywhere else. This, we're going to stay here. Jesus kept sowing the word. The results were up and down. But he kept sowing the word. And so that's what we're called to do. The sower sows the word. I'm in verse 14. Verse 15. And these are they which by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, so they did hear the word, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. There's another one. There's another verse, another parallel passage where it says they didn't understand. They heard and they didn't understand. And the devil was able to take away the word. They heard, but they didn't understand, which is why we need teachers in the body of Christ. Because people need to hear and understand. Otherwise, the devil can take it out of their heart. So you have, you have shared the gospel with people before. You have told them the truth. And there have been times when you've heard the truth. But you didn't get it. And so it didn't profit you. And the devil is able to take it. And there are other friends of yours that have heard the truth. But they didn't get it. And so the devil is able to take it. I'm finding that with my fifth grade son that there are times when he hears the same information on the 5 o'clock news or something like that that we hear, and he doesn't get it, even though word for word, you know, we all heard the same thing. But then he looks at me and he says, Dad, what did they just say? I, because he's never heard it before. It's brand new information. And because it's brand new information, he doesn't really have, I call it pockets. He doesn't, he's never heard that before, and so it's almost like an unformatted disk that the, that the information doesn't have a place to stick to. When I tell him exactly what was just said before and then just add a little bit more information and I tie it back to something he already knows, all of a sudden it all sticks and it all stays. But when it's brand new informa information that doesn't tie into anything he already knows, it slides right off. It slides right off the table. And so that's why you need teachers. And that's why... It's important that you hear and understand. And so the Bible talks about 
Those that have, they'll get more. And those that have not, even what they have will be taken away. Do you start to see how this is starting to work? It's how the kingdom of God works. But it's also how our brains work. You've got to be able to tie that information to, to, to information that you have. And so that's why it was so important for me to go to Bible school. All of a sudden, when I started reading the Old Testament, it started making sense. Because now I had some structures. I had some teaching about covenant. I understood about the Mosaic covenant. And before that, the Abrahamic covenant. Before that, the Noahic covenant. Before that, the Abrahamic covenant. That there were these different dispensations that God was working through. And that I don't have to get all caught up in Old Testament law and try to bring that into the New Covenant like some religions do. The Seventh-day Adventists, for instance, spend a lot of their time in the Old Testament without any of the light of the New Covenant, and they get all caught up in dietary laws and stuff like that, and don't eat pork and don't do this, and, and Old Testament prophecy and stuff like that, without any of the New Testament light. And they miss. They make mistakes. You've got to understand the Bible as it's revealed. These are they which are by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Woohoo! Glory to God! I'm redeemed! But they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. What is the devil after? The word. He's after the word. He's going to challenge the word. He's not after your church membership. He's not after the bumper sticker on your car. He's after the word. He's trying to, he, hath God said, is what the serpent said to Eve. He's, he's challenging the word. He's challenging God's very word. Are you going to stand on the word? Or is he going to be able to, to twist the word and challenge the word and, and, and mess with it? You're not going to allow that. You've got to stand on the word. And then these are they which are sown among thorns, which hear the word. Again, it's the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke what? The word. And it becomes unfruitful. Again, what's the devil after? He's after the word. What's busyness after? after the word. What are financial troubles after? The word. What's television advertising after? It's trying to take the word away from you. Amen? Magazine ads, trying to take the word away from you. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And then look down to uh, verse 24. Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. When you hear the word, you get more. You get more light. And, and the word becomes more interesting to you. The more you understand about the Bible, the more you want to read the Bible. And the more you read the Bible, you wow, what a great book this is. Oh, this is exciting. And, and you start to understand it. And so that's why I'm so excited that you're here, here in Bible school, because you're learning the Word. And the Word is starting to make more sense and more sense and more sense. It's getting deeper and deeper roots. And then when more Word comes in, 
you have more understanding and you have a place to put it. You have a place to put the information. If somebody starts coming in here and teaching me about advanced calculus, I don't remember a word they're saying because I don't have any, I don't have the, the basis for, for, what, for that information to stick to. I don't know the definitions of what they're talking about and it's just gonna slide off the table. You heard enough word and you're starting to get enough revelation. Some of this light is starting to come so that when you read the Bible and continue to read and continue to study, and like I said, this is the intro course. And you will study this information for the rest of your life and get more depth and grow more in these truths. If you fail to study and fail to feed yourself on these truths, the devil will come after what? The word. And try to choke it out with the cares and deceitfulness of, the, of riches in the world and things like that. Or he'll just try to, to, to take it out and, and get you to forget or doubt or mistrust what? The word. So what are you going to feed yourself on and continue to feed yourself on and continue to feed yourself on? The word. The word of God. So the number one thing that we have to battle against is ignorance. The number one problem is ignorance. Either not hearing or haven't heard it often enough or strong enough for it to sink in and make changes on someone's heart. The number one problem, this probably on the test, is ignorance. Ignorance of what? The word. Either you heard it and it didn't stick, or you never heard it at all. And that's why we need teachers in the body of Christ. And that's why you're going to need to teach your friends, and that's why it's important for you to listen to good teachers, Keith Moore, morelife.org, markhankins.org, creflodollarministries.org, kcm.org, kennethcopelandministries.org, god.tv. All this stuff is free. And you can be working on the computer or there at home, have this going on all day long and learning and hearing and being taught the Word of God. It's so vital and so helpful. The number two reason that people have trouble with the redemptive realities that, that you and I are, are studying here is shallow soil. People who quit too soon is what it looks like to me. Shallow soil. It's like they hear the word of God. You, you tell them about prayer. You tell them about their authority in the name of Jesus. And they get all excited about the name of Jesus. Woo-hoo, I got, I got authority. I got authority in the name of Jesus. I got power over the devil. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Pray a few prayers and kind of start to see this is going in the right direction. And tomorrow morning they wake up with a headache. Oh, oh, darn. Oh, what does that prove? Nothing! Nothing at all. You just keep going. There are some amazing stories about people who were getting healed during the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s. And, and, and just one leg, a foot shorter than the other leg. And they would come up and they would get healed in those healing rallies. And that leg would go out and they would be completely healed. They'd run around the building. And a couple days later, they'd have pain again in that leg. Or they'd get out of bed and they would just sort of feel like maybe that leg was just a little bit shorter than the other. And they'd kind of start saying, well, that leg's shorter. You know, well, that leg's shorter. That leg's shorter. That leg's shorter. And what would they do? They'd confess themselves right back to where they were. It was amazing. People who were, you know, all withered up and shriveled up, you know, all of a sudden strong and running around, and then they would wake up with some pain 
the next day and they really magnify that pain, and the devil could get right back on them and put them right back where they were. And there were other people that were taught well, and they would wake up a day or two later, and they would feel the pain. They'd say, get away, pain. I'm healed. By Jesus stripes, I'm healed, and I'm staying healed, and I'm going to stay healed, and I'm going to stay free, and I am totally healed by the stripes of Jesus' back, and I'm going to stay healed all my life. And I command that pain to go, and they'd stay healed and stay free. But the devil will come knocking back on your door and try to put financial problems back on you, try to put that sickness back on you, try to bring that strife back into your relationships, trying to put that thing back on your kid, try to get your car to break again, all that kind of stuff. And if he can get you to start confessing, I got a lemon, I'm driving a lemon, I'm driving a lemon. What's he doing? He's getting you to confess and prophesy over your own car. You see, the devil tactic is to get you to use your mouth against yourself. He's trying, because he really can't do that much against you. What he needs you to do is agree with him. As soon as you agree with him, he got you. Who are you going to agree with? God or the devil? It makes all the difference in the world. The devil is trying to lie to you and get you to agree with that lie. I'm an idiot. I, I just can't do anything right. Oh, everything I do messes up. The devil's just going, yeah, yeah. More. Keep going. Come on. Come on. Come on over here. You're doing great. Get here. Sit down here. Here, just sit down right there and just keep on confessing that. Don't answer the phone. I, oh, that's probably Pastor calling. No, no, don't even talk to him because just, oh, have a pity party. And if he can get you to start talking like that and thinking like that, sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just have to agree with him and just kind of start to play with that thought for a little while. And he's got you. Exactly. Take those thoughts captive. Don't allow that stuff in there. Poison. Poison. Evil. You guys know the Jesse DePlanis story? Jesse DePlanis was, uh, there's a, I think he tells it two different places, but one particular story he tells, he said, it's in New York City, and his wife is in some, you know, very nice store shopping, and he's just bored out of his mind, and he goes and uh, stands outside, and this uh, nice-looking lady comes up and starts talking to him, and he's well-dressed and stuff, and, uh, and she starts talking to him, and, uh, and then pretty soon she's, she's propositioning him for, for something that costs money, and, and, he, uh, and he looks at it, and he finally gets what, what this is, and he goes, What's he doing? He is just calling, he's using Bible words for Bible things. Bible words for Bible things. And she takes off, and his wife comes and gets him, brings him back into the store, and hey, it is what it is. Keith Moore said uh, one time, he said, why do we keep saying words like gay? Bible word for that is sodomy. Sodomite. Sodomite. It's not gay. It's a, it's, there's a Bible word for it, and it's not a pretty word. And it's sin. And, and we can't, can't, just can't mince these terms. We gotta, hmm, call Bible things Bible things. Shadow sale. We're not giving up early. There's a third group here. Well, there's a third group who let the cares of this world in. And the cares of this world are trying to take away your Bible, Bible reading time. You're too busy. You're too successful. 
You got too many irons in the fire. You got too many things going on. I'm responsible. I'm so responsible. I'm, I'm on top of things. And I'm doing good. And the devil will try to use a certain measure of success, a certain measure of responsibility, a certain measure of, of being upstanding and responsible and, and things that sort of look like they have the shimmer of integrity, but really they're just chasing after the wrong thing. One of the other things that, well, along this line is for Christians who let compassion direct them in ways of the word and God would not direct them. An example of this was when I was a, a brand new Christian and the church we were going to had a number of uh, homeless people that were there. And homeless people necessarily follow the stereotype. The stereotype is beggars can't be choosers. But if you ever get to know homeless people for a little bit, the average homeless person is very choosy. <laughs> They're very choosy. Don't give me that. I want that. I want that over there. You know, you give me one of those. Go back in there. And you, you offer them one thing, and they don't want that. They, you know, we'll work for food. Want a job over my house? No, no, no. You know, give me a handout. Give me money, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get alcohol. But we'll work for food. It had nothing to do with work. It, this is my play for alcohol. I, I just I need another, another tall one over there. I started working with these homeless people and just started really just getting manipulated. They were driving me around. They were, I was driving them around and they were making me do this for them and do that for them. And, and my wife was, you know, we were newly married and she was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure that this is so good. And I'm like, oh, but this is the love of God that I'm showing. And it's just, I feel so much compassion in my heart, but it's not wisdom. And my pastor finally pulls me aside and said, Brad, if you spent... How much time did you spend with this one particular homeless person? I said, about two and a half hours on a Saturday. He said, now, what did you feel like afterwards? I said, I felt terrible. My car stunk. I stunk. Went away feeling stinky. Uh, I was pretty frustrated. And he said, now, what would have happened if you spent two and a half hours with this new believer, the shiny new believer who you know, just came into church the other day? That shiny new believer probably you know, would have been taught the word, appreciated it, and really have grown and stuff like that. He said, yeah. He says, Brad, you need to think about and pray about where you spend your time and use it effectively for the kingdom of God. 30, 60, 100 fold. Where are you going to sow your seeds? Are you going to sow your seeds? Think about your time as an investment. And so if you're going to invest your time on a Saturday, invest it in people and things that are going to produce results. Because there are people that will ring your phone and ring your phone and ring your phone and ring your phone and take your time and take your time and take your time. And you've got to let God decide and not just compassion tell you what to do. So there's, there's a difference. There's a difference between led by God, being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and having the master tell you what project to work on and then just sort of being pulled by need or pulled by, pulled by the need. There are some huge needs in the world. And Jesus, remember, he walked right past a lot of huge needs. Remember, he goes to the pool at Siloam, and one person gets healed. One person. And in and, and this pool at Siloam, there's just all these, all these people laid out there. And Jesus went to one. And he was, he was sent. He was remotely controlled. He knew what the Father 
wanted him to do at all times. He did not work with the crowd. Interesting. So go to the one. Be led and not just driven by compassion and need and, and somebody who's ringing on your phone and saying, ah! Then there's finally, there's the fourth group. The group that receives and receives the word, hears it, and receives it. It says they understood the word and they applied the word and the roots, and they put their roots down deep. This group studies. This is the group that asks questions. Did you see how when Jesus was alone, there were people that came, and you know, we're in Mark chapter 4, there were people that came to him and asked him questions. Good students ask questions. Email me with questions. Call me on the phone and ask questions. Show me that you're engaged. Show me that you're paying attention. Show me that you're working with the word. Ask questions. If I don't know it, we'll talk about it. You're trying to figure something out in Revelations. Mark just explained something to me in Revelations just the other day that I thought was fabulous. God showed him something. It was great. I love to study the Word. It's awesome. This fourth group walks in love when, love, when walking in love is difficult. This fourth group keeps praying and confessing when it looks like nothing is happening. They're not going by their sight. They're walking by faith. They don't quit when it gets tough. They don't slow down. In the face of adversity, they keep going. They keep confessing. They keep praying. And when it gets tough, when it looks like the word is not producing, they keep sowing the word. I once planted grass in a side yard in the early spring in Tulsa. And early spring in Tulsa is cold. It gets real cold at night. And I didn't realize this, but grass just new grass seed just doesn't grow when it's real when when the temperature gets below a certain certain level. Grass seed just goes dormant. It's not going to do anything for you. The, the nighttime temperature has to be above a certain level before that grass seed is going to germinate and work. I sowed this grass seed right in that early part of spring, and I'm watering it and watering it. And I, I mean, I covered it with good topsoil, and I watered it. And I, I mean, I sowed the seed in there really thick. I mean, it was just almost, you know, that light brown with that you know, wonderful little seed there. And then I covered it up, you know, with just a half inch of topsoil over it. And I watered it with a real fine mist. You know, if you, if you just put the hose on it, you know, you're just going to wash everything away. Not real fine mist. And I went out there every day, sometimes twice a day when it would warm up. And I missed it. And the first week went by, nothing. And then the second week went by, and I'm doing this every day, nothing. And then finally, after like three weeks, finally got to where it was warm enough, and I kept the water on it, and I finally got to see just a little bit, of, looked like just a little bit of peach fuzz, just green peach fuzz, just coming right up there, real thin little guys. Just started to come up, and it stayed just almost imperceptible for a long time. What would have happened if I'd stopped watering after a week and said, oh, this is, got bad seed? There wasn't anything wrong with the seed. The word works always. The constant in Mark chapter 4 is the word. The variable is the soil. There were different types of soil, and our heart is what this is the soil. In this parable, your heart is the soil. And so you can condition, you can change the soil. Soil conditioner. You can put in soil conditioner. Right now in our, our backyard, we have a big redwood tree and a lot of shade. It is the it just is not conducive for lawn growth big patches of mud and there's little patches of grass and it just it just looks terrible and and from what I understand I'm not quite totally 
totally got it. This real heavy clay soil, but it's, it's, it's acidic. The redwood tree is making that soil acidic. I've got to change the pH of that soil, and I've got to add some soil amendments. I've got to change the soil if I'm going to get a harvest. If I'm going to get the lawn that I want, I've got to change the soil. If you're going to change the results that you're getting from your prayer life, if you're going to change the effectiveness of your Christianity, you're going to change your soil. You're going to change your heart. If you want to be a hundredfold Christian, there's a difference between 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold Christians, and it's right here. And you have control over that. You get to put in the soil amendments. I had a friend when, when I was a, just out of college and, and knew nothing, and uh, this guy worked for a landscaper. He said, the secret to landscaping is soil. And he said that this landscaper, what every, everything they did is they trucked in their soil. They just didn't even mess with whatever you got. They trucked in the just really good soil and planted everything they planted. They planted in their perfect um, nursery mix that they brought in, and they always knew that it was always going to work. They didn't even they didn't even mess with your soil. They trucked in and put in perfect soil, and then the plants always look terrific. You work on your heart. What does your heart want? Because your mind is going to think about how to get it. If your heart wants cars, if you if you all your you know guys sometimes they just you know. They get after you know, certain, if I just had a certain musical instrument, if I just had a certain golf club, if I just had a certain kind of car, I'd be so happy. If I just had a stereo, if my stereo speakers were this big, or if I just got the new subwoofer. You ever seen how guys obsess like that over certain things? And then as soon as they get them, they kind of realize oh, that's not it either. And they have to go after something else. And they go after another thing. Well, that's what happens is they got the wrong stuff in their heart. They got the cares and concerns of other things. And even if you don't want it, confess that you do. Want what God wants. Just say, I want what God wants. I go after what God goes after. I see with God's eyes. I desire with God's heart. And when your heart wants what God wants, then your thoughts are God's thoughts. But it starts here. It doesn't really actually start here. It starts, but it, it, it's deeper than that. It starts with your wants. So be careful what you want, because your brain will work on that and try to solve that equation. And if you don't want the right things, if you're, if you're wanting the cares and concerns, it's going to choke the word and make it unfruitful. When we were first married, God told me, I empty heaven and earth for you. You tell the devil to get out of your house. He showed me the authority that I have. He said, said what he had already done for me. And so when I was starting to complain he corrected me, and he wasn't nice about it. He hates complaining. He hates it. And then another time, many years later, I met this guy, grew up wealthy, good-looking guy, good-looking wife, great-looking kids, the coolest-looking twins that you ever seen. And, uh, oh, these twins were adorable. I taught them in, in, in school, and they were hilarious. And just, they just, I mean, they looked like, you know, looked like the perfect postcard family. This guy grew up in this rich Hawaiian family, and things started going wrong for him at work. And he got into this pity party. God had me give him a word. I went up and I spoke to him, and I spoke the word that God gave me to give to him. It was hard, and I, I messed with it for a long time, and finally I, I, I had to obey God. I couldn't get any rest, and I had to go obey God, and I went and told him what God said. God said, I don't feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for you. 
And this guy just almost came apart because he was the youngest son of a wealthy family, and that's how he got attention, was pouting. And it was, it was difficult for him to get attention in his wealthy family with his busy parents. And so he had learned some dysfunctional things. Now that he's 30 years old or something like that, he's doing the wrong thing. And he's feeling sorry for himself. And God doesn't feel sorry for people who he has emptied heaven and earth already for, who are raised up and seated together with him in heavenly places, who are the righteousness of God in Christ right now, who have the name of Jesus has been given to them. What are you doing feeling sorry for yourself? God doesn't feel sorry for you. And he was very uncomfortable with that for a while until he started to kind of get the answer, started to get what God meant by that. But it was a hard habit for him to change. Very hard. Very, very, very hard habit for him to change. Self-pity is something God hates. Self-pity is where you go and you take your problem and you start to pet it. And you just take that, that problem of yours like a rat, like a dead, stinking rat. And instead of you letting God take that problem away, you take that dead, stinking rat and you pet that rat. Rat. I just got this rat. And you stake and you just you keep that stinking rat and you hang on to it. Self-pity is so ugly. I'm trying to help somebody right now who has has a self-pity problem. I'm not getting anywhere. Self-pity is an obstacle to heaven. It's ugly. Because God has already done things for you, and you, you have no reason to feel inferior or sorry for yourself. I'm going just a little bit over, but I want to, I want to get out of just a, one or two more little points, and we're going to stop. When I couldn't sell a house in Tulsa, I told God to sell it for me. And I would go out praying faithfully and long and hard. I would go for these long prayer walks hours at a time, and I would pray to heaven and it would go boom. And my prayers would hit the ceiling and fall right back down. And I could tell I was getting nowhere. But I just, you know, I worked hard. I didn't know any better. And I kept working that, working that, sell this house, God, sell this house, sell this house. Months went by at $3,000 a month. When I only had about $10,000 in the bank, at $3,000 a month, your savings goes away pretty fast. And months are going by. And then each month I write a check for $3,000. And I'm just going to school. And this house is in California and I'm in Tulsa. Sell the house, Lord. Well, I sit on my holy rear. And then God tells me to go and pray. I pray and I pray and I pray. Two hours finally go by. And he tells me the answer I needed to hear. I'm not going to sell that house for you. <laughs> went crazy. But I realized God was telling me something. I, he gave me the answer. He gave me the clue. I'm supposed to do it. Selling is a verb. Selling is something you do. Selling is something you do. Not God. God doesn't sell. God gives you authority and favor so that you can sell. So that you can do your task. Don't try to beg and twist God's arm to make him do something that you're supposed to do. God ain't going to do it, and you can't twist his arm. No matter how much you bawl and squall, and I've tried them all. I've tried it, and it doesn't move heaven. 
God expects you to take the authority that he's given you and do it. And you do it. You do it. I emptied heaven and earth for you. Do it. You can do it. And don't you sit on the couch and complain. Ever. Ever. You get on the phone and get it going. You get in the car and make it happen. You get out the door and change some things. Redemptive Realities, class three.